When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today on Barca Talk. FC Barcelona are on to the quarterfinals in the Champions League and dominate Real Betis in La Liga, while FC Barcelona Femini are riding high on two wins against Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid in front of a record crowd at the Wanda. La Liga has witnessed the return of Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid. Can he turn Real's fortunes around? First, some news. Usman Dembélé suffered a strain of his hamstring in last week's La Liga match against Rayo Vallecano, but Valverde still included him in the squad for the midweek Champions League match with Lyon and put him in for Coutinho in the 70th minute when Barcelona were holding on to a 2-1 lead. Dembélé scored in the 86th minute, Barcelona's fifth goal, to close what became a decisive victory, but his hamstring trouble has now worsened from a strain to a tear, and the Frenchman will be out for three to four weeks missing the Champions League quarterfinal legs and La Liga matches against Espanyol, Villarreal, Huesca, and second-place Atletico Madrid. In his press conference ahead of Sunday's La Liga match with Real Betis, Ernesto Valverde took responsibility off the shoulders of the medical staff, admitting that he knew he was taking a risk, but that it was a vital game and the right moment in the match for such a risk. Barcelona B lost to Espanyol B 1-0 on Saturday, this leaves them seven points off a playoff spot for promotion to La Liga 1-2-3. They're currently at seventh place in their group, and while they still have nine matches remaining in the Segunda B schedule, their recent form makes any hope of promotion a distant one, getting only seven points in their last ten matches. In sporting fashion news, Sport and AS have reported that Barcelona are planning a special fourth kit for big games next season, a jersey design inspired by the Catalan flag, the Senyera. This is not out of the ordinary, as Barcelona have had similar Senyera-themed kits in the past, but what's different this time, as the Catalan media have reported it, is that the plan would be to wear this kit in particularly big games, including the Clásico at the Santiago Bernabéu. This would be a first, as Barca have always played the away Clásico in the Blaugrana colors. And former Real Madrid manager Zinedine Zidane is the new Real Madrid manager. The club released Santiago Solari last week with their thanks, though his results were not up to the standard, and brought in the man who oversaw three consecutive Champions League titles for the club. Zidane's appointment is more than a caretaker role for the remainder of the season. He has signed a three-year contract beyond this season, set to end in June of 2022. Florentino Perez, the president of Real Madrid, no doubt hopes that Zidane can bring in more silverware over the next three years. More on that in a moment. 
All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. Joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid. How are you doing, my man? Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. I'm doing well, man. I'm just counting down the days till Barcelona, my friend. Counting down the days. Yes, I have so much to do between now and then. And I'm and I'm just looking at that day that we leave for Barcelona. That's my goal. I gotta I wanna have all this stuff done before that day. And and I'm going to have a great time, be relaxed, and be on vacation, and do a little bit of podcast work. That's the plan. <laughs> like 5%, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, hit a, <laughs> I did hit a big milestone. I checked off a really big box on my journey towards doctorhood, music doctorhood, uh, this past week. Uh, two weeks ago, I took s- some pretty intense written exams. I was mentioning that. And then last Thursday, I took the oral portion of the exam, essentially where my my professors um, grilled me on the things that I had written in the written form of the exam. And uh, it went, you know, pretty well. There were some uncomfortable moments, but that's to be expected. And I came out the other end with uh, full approval, unanimous uh, pass on my comprehensive exams. So now I am, as they say, ABD. I am all but dissertation. So that's the 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 big project that I need to uh, have finished up before we leave for Spain so that I can enjoy myself and have a good time. And then when I come back, then I have to start planning for rehearsals and the performance of the dissertation, which is a piece of music that I'm writing. Uh, it's going to get performed in June. So, But big load off, big, big box has now been checked. So I'm already quite relieved. Congratulations. You know, I, I was asking you, was that a congratulations or good luck? Well, because I wasn't quite sure, but it, you told me it was a congratulations. So congratulations. Thank also, you. before we started podcasting, I saw in your background, your whiteboard was more empty. Yeah. So that meant a lot more tasks had been completed. Yes, I have. I have officially erased a number of things off of the whiteboard. So that's also nice. And of course, now I have to fill it back up again with other things. But I'm taking the weekend to just enjoy this kind of uh, lack of marked <laughs> markedness on the whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thank you. You're almost there, and you know, like I said, I'm. We were talking prior. I'm just. I'm ready to get away from Madrid for a weekend. Uh, I just, you know, it's been a while since I've left Madrid too, and I'm just looking forward not only to being with you guys, but also going to the game and also just seeing the ocean as well. So that's been a while as well. So just all those things combined, and I'm just really counting on the days, and that's 18 days, Brian, by the way. 18. Yes, sir. Wow, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> but this this next week is spring break. I actually I don't have to teach at all this next week. I just get to work on my dissertation and do some class planning. I also happen to be planning a little academic conference at UB in so I need to be doing some work on that this week as well. But I don't have to don't have to go to school and I don't have to teach. And that's a big load off that really frees up a lot of a lot of time. Nice. That gives you some time to do it. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because spring break in the States is so early here. It's it's later. So when you told me it was spring break, kind of confused me a little bit. But I you know, living here now with Samana Santa. That's our spring break here. That's not till. I think April 15th or something like that. Yeah. Well, a lot of places actually do it in spring in Buffalo. They do it before that. So yeah, it's not really spring yet, but for whatever reason, the, the calendar at my particular university is kind of strange at times. So this is my week off. This is, and I'm <laughs> taking advantage of it. 
one of my students asked me like if you, if I had any plans for spring break and I just looked at him <laughs> and I said work I got, yeah I got more work it's great <laughs> you should you should just told him Daytona Beach oh yeah, yeah. that's it's like the <laughs> yeah you the know automatic response Daytona Beach brother Woo! spring break <laughs> gonna hit the phi alpha epsilon party there you go those guys really know how to throw down (laughs) i don't know but so uh, i was mentioning in the news segment about uh how zidane has has returned to real madrid and he started off with a a good showing Uh, he got a two nothing win over celta at the weekend uh bringing back a lot of the uh the old greatest hits players (laughs) <laughs> kind of going counter to Solari's uh, up and coming approach. I like that. That's a really good observation on that. Greatest hits. I love it. Yeah. I mean, Brian, let's, you know, after last week was the worst week of Madrid's history, this was the best week of Madrid's history because they brought Zizou back. Right. And it's incredible to me because I just have so many questions. Like, why is he just chancing his legacy? Mm. right i mean he won the three champions league with the la liga title and that's been great you know and to put that on the line to try to come back and save real madrid i mean you really only have kind of one option you know because it it normally when a manager comes back it normally is not as good as the first round right well i think also i think a lot of people know that and i mean you cannot take away those three consecutive champions league trophies from him so i think his legacy is is intact and it will always remain intact even if this next this current uh tour that's going to go on for three more years after the end of this season even if this is a total disaster right even if this falls apart i think his his first tour, the legacy of his first tour is just that's going to be what people remember they're just going to forget the second one if it doesn't go well because memory is fun that way. You can be very selective. Yeah. I mean, you have a good point there. But, you know, man, on all the talk shows here, it's like they're going to win the Champions League this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how they're looking at it. They're like, we got the next four now. We got Zizou back and this and that. Now, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, especially since they don't have Ronaldo anymore and his goals. I mean, we've seen how difficult it has been for them. And I'm just curious to see what he does with the team because, Obviously, he saw that there was major problems at the club. That's why he left at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now he had all the leverage. He came back. But there, you know, in the press conference, he said nothing changed. He said that Florentino Perez asked him to come back, and then he said yes. Yeah. And obviously, it's not that simple, right? So the rumor here is that they want to get these big players this summer, right? That's Mbappe, Neymar, and Hazard. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, if I they can pull it curious. off. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, I also don't think, PSG is not going to allow that, you know, especially with Mbappe, for example. You know, you can pretend to have all this grocery list of free agents, right? But if we look at Real Madrid's finances the last couple of years, they have not spent big. And that's a reason because they're trying to make for this new stadium that they have to pay out of pocket, essentially. Mm. And they just don't have the money that they used to before. And so, again, you can promise to bring Mbappe Neymar, but is PSG really going to allow that to happen? Right. Because I mean, their the release clauses on all of those guys Correct. are pretty astronomical. Correct. And Real Madrid, I don't think even they have that kind of money. And like you said, especially with this stadium project underway, they they don't have a lot of uh, free cash just floating around. Exactly, and that's that's the biggest thing. You know, it's you know maybe the I you know the the biggest rumor this whole season has been Hazard coming to Real Madrid, which I can see because 
that's been in the works for a while. But then to try to bring Neymar at, I don't know, 200 million release clause plus his salary, that's insane. And it all depends on what you get back on who you sell, because obviously the rumor here that they've been talking about is obviously Bale leaving, mm-hmm. Marcelo leaving, Tony Cruz leaving. But are you really going to get a total of 100 million from transfer fees on those guys? I don't know. Uh, you might. <laughs> all three of them put maybe, together, you might get 100 yeah, million. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a hundred, right? Yeah. But if Neymar is going to cost two hundred, you know, you're still in the bank for another hundred. So, yeah. Again, I'm just curious to see what Zizou does because you know he is an exceptional man manager. Like that is what he's really good at managing those egos. What he did the past couple of years, especially with Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos, and all those guys. But tactically, you know, he's not a person you think of. Wow, he's a tactical genius. So I'm curious to see. You know, after we saw what Solari did with the young movement and seeing what he did last Saturday with the greatest hits players. <laughs> You know, I can honest, I watched the match, Brian, and it was very uninspiring because they're just they're just old and over it. I mean, and I use old in quotations. They've just been the same group, and there's just no lifeline or new blood in the in the in the midfield and the team. So, right. yeah, they want to nothing, but it was not as fluid as you you know the scoreline may show. Right. Well, it was also you know Zidane's first week back. He hasn't you know he hasn't had time to do whatever he does in training, whatever that is. But the thing I've been reading is exactly what you said, that he's good at managing men and he's not necessarily a tactical uh, thinker or a tactical, a tactician, so to speak. But, you know, at least he does a different lineup than Solari would, for example. So that's where his tactics are. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's not unlike Valverde in that sense, because I don't, I don't think that Valverde has some grand tactical idea i think he's more interested in just picking what he thinks are the right players for the job which is a little different than like okay when he goes here you go here and when they make this move you make this move and like he's he doesn't seem especially detailed in that he he's sort of like yeah "Yeah, this is generally where they line up and this is about when they get tired all right (laughs) here's my 11 go play yeah yeah i mean he's you know he's he's known for his pep talks at halftime and and pregame speeches, he is. Uh, but is he what I mean more mean? about, yeah, yeah. What I mean more about, like the tactical thing, is just you know when you are when you have Ronaldo who's giving you fifty goals a season, it's really easy. It's easier, easier to manage a team. Right? Sure. But when you have the when you have the team, or you know, like say Benzema, for example, who's a quality player but does not score on that clip, then all of a sudden you're you need a balanced attack, and then you have to kind of adjust the formation or the players, right? So I'm just curious to see what he's going to do from now until the summertime is basically a test run for all these players. It's basically a tryout. Right, right, because they have nothing competitive, really. To They have nothing big time to fight for except to just make sure they stay in Europe for the remainder of the season. So everything between now and the summer transfer window and the preseason next year is all just trial. Exactly, exactly. That's so a long trial. Sick. It is a long trial. Like I have here in the notes. It's like O.J. Simpson level (laughs) (laughs) length of trial. It is. I mean, their first first meaningful game is going to be at the end of August. (laughs) Man, that's a ways off. I love it. Yeah. While all these other teams are like they're getting into the thick of it, you know, including us. Correct. Right. Correct. This is where the this is the the heat of the meat, as Stephen Colbert would say. The, <laughs> this is where the rubber is really hitting the road. Meanwhile, Real Madrid is just they all they can think about is August. Exactly. 
exactly. And again, the the media here are just hyping it up because obviously of previous success of Zizou, and I get that. I mean, if you look at it as a Real Madrid, you know, PR kind of stunt, it's the best thing they could have done, right? Because of all the debacle they had this year, to have Zizou come back, it gives them hope and also gives them a little bit of stability. But again, I saw a stat, Brian, that Madrid has fired their last 10 managers. <laughs> Where you know, Whereas Barcelona, we, you know, the, we've had a lot of manager change, but they've worked out their whole contract essentially right yeah right even so, even tata finished even out tata. the year even tata and they agreed right. on that i mean it was it was more i mean it was a little controversial right they announced that luis enrique had been signed before the season was even over but yes tata you know he worked out his his whole year and i that's yeah. that seems to be the way that we operate as a club more it's just like well at this point just see out the year and in the break, we'll, you know, we'll bring someone else in. But, man, Real Madrid, they're just, is it is it Perez? Is it the fans? Is it a combination of both? Is it the board? Because they seem really trigger happy when it comes to letting managers go and bringing new managers in. It's Perez, man. It's it's They just don't feel that the managers makes that much of a difference. Right. You know, they, they just feel that it's, you can just, it's a throwaway, you know? Mm. And... When you have a great manager like Zizou, you know that, that they had, you do anything to keep them, but they just don't see it as a as a resource. That it's easier to replace and change a manager than the whole team, right? So for them, that's just the way they see it. Yeah. Again, you know, as we saw with the Pep era, we wanted him to stay because you just know those things. It's a once in a lifetime type of thing that run to have a coach marriage with the team that just binds really well. It's just really difficult to find. Yeah. I mean, ask like Chelsea. You know, for example, you know, they, they go through Mourinho, they try five different coaches and they still can't find anyone. You know, it's really difficult to find that marriage of great managers with great teams at the highest level. And so, you know, Perez just doesn't think it's a big deal. So he just fires them and he's just had, I mean, think about it. They had Lopetegui, you know, they had Zizou, they had, <laughs> they had Solari, they had, um, Rafa Benitez. I mean, that's just in the last three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you believe in, such things as instant karma for example yeah i think the lopetegui move was it was bound to uh bite him in the in the face yeah because it just seemed so sketchy the way that the way that all went down but also you know keep in mind that there is no transfer window for managers right because with players you have to work within these regulations and you have to build that into your your business and how you do your business with the transfer windows, but with managers, you know, if you really wanted to, if you were extremely motivated, you could have a new manager every week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could, you could. It's funny because, you know, I always just laugh about the press conferences they have when they fire a coach, you know, they basically what they do is they said the board is, is meeting, but then they release the news before the board even meets so that the TV shows have the news. So with the Zizou, for example, when he got hired th- on Twitter, on the sports show, they said the, the board is going to meet at five. Okay. Then the sports show goes on at three <laughs> and they have this, they have this breaking news that Zizu got hired. And it's just like, so funny how that all works out. It's all about press and about who they have and how it looks to the Madrid fans and so forth. It's just, you know, whatever. Thank God I don't support that team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it would be even more of an emotional roller coaster than than we go through and I, you know, 
I can tell you, we go through quite a bit. You know, one of the things that attracted me to Barca, you know, was obviously just the legacy of the young youth academy that goes through that, right? Yeah. Now, with Madrid, it just, I mean, as I talked about, you know, before with some friends, you know, who is the last youth academy player that you can attach your head to? Now it's Raul. Raul's the last great player, right? Before that, nobody else, really. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's just about mercenaries and Champions Leagues, and that's it. And to me, that's not really the romantic vision I want to go fight for for my team. I love that we're in these competitions every year, that we fight for all of them. Now, you know, obviously, we've been unlucky the last couple of seasons with Champions League, but at least we're there. We're, we've qualified for the quarterfinals the last, what, six years in a row or something yeah, or seven? something like that. So, yeah, and that's an incredible run, you know, just the consistency with that. But that also starts with the players that are on our team and that, that have grown through the youth academy along with those free agent players. Yeah, that's part of what makes us uh, the best. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> best club in the world. Yeah. No doubt. Well, speaking of best club in the world and doing good things, I want to remind everyone that we're working with the Houston Kules to help bring uh, three kids, hopefully this year, to an FCB camp. So if you want to do your good deed of the year and you haven't done so yet, you should go to our website and find the send a child to FCB camp link. And that will take you directly to a GoFundMe page where you can donate money uh, to help send up to three kids. Is That's the target uh, to a FCB camp this summer in Houston. And speaking more of the Barca Talk community, how many, how many days again is it to the trip? 18, sir. 18, 18 days. 18 and counting. Yes. That's as of recording day, which is Sunday, right? Yes, that is correct. Yes. So we're going to be there together. We're going to the Atletico match along with some, some other great fans. And then on Sunday, following the game, we will have our first ever Barca Talk live event, April 7th at a place called the Red Garter in Barcelona near the marina. The event starts at 3 p.m. We're going to record our episode and have a party afterwards with some cervezas. And we're looking looking forward to hanging out with the Peña members that are coming from the U.S. And you can find more details on our uh, Facebook page. We have a full event set up there and everything. And now, for the Barca Talk Guard of Honor. This week, we're giving Craig in the UK the Guard of Honor. Craig's another longtime supporter of the show. He started supporting us on Patreon shortly after we launched on there, and we've gotten some good comments and feedback from him over the months. So we're grateful for Craig's involvement and support of the show. So, Craig, please enjoy this pasillo. And you can get involved, too. Support the podcast through Patreon. Just $3 a month will get you a private feed for the show that you can set up in most podcast apps. And the episodes you get in that feed have the few commercials that we do have taken out of the show. So you'll just get pure, uninterrupted Barca talk. At the Barca Femini tier of support or higher, which is $6 a month or higher, you'll also get our Thursday bonus episode in that feed. Now, each tier of support also comes with some Barca talk merchandise. So we have a link to Patreon in the show notes. If for whatever reason that link isn't working, just go to barsatalk.net and click on support the show to link through to Patreon. 
Yeah, and another way you can help support the show is we are introducing our new kind of Amazon marketplace. Yes. So every week we are going to select an item on Amazon that we like, you know, that we think that our fans would be interested in. And by clicking on the links, you'll be helping out the show through our basic affiliate marketing here. And we have picked some items. So what did you pick this week, Brian? Well, this week, and this is new for me. So and I just want to make sure that I have clarification on this. So we we've each selected an item, you know, to add to our Barca Talk Bazaar marketplace. And we have links in the show notes. And if you just click on either one of those, anything that you if you wind up making a purchase on that visit to Amazon, anything that you purchase will a portion of that will help support the show. Is that correct, Gabriel? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. Okay. Well then this is uh I wanted to do something a little bit artsy, not quite so sporty. So I, I chose a book called Barcelona Art Nouveau. It's a hardcover book in with a lot of full color photographs all about the modernisme, the the Art Nouveau movement in Barcelona in the late 19th century. Of course, a lot of people associate this just with Antoni Gaudí, but there are a lot of examples of this style. And the reason I chose this this week is, uh, one, I'm feeling artsy, you know, I'm like on on my way to get a PhD, so I'm feeling it. And I love the architecture of Barcelona. It's one of the most beautiful cities, I think. But also what's really fun about this particular movement in art and architecture at that time is that it it sort of coincides with the founding of FC Barcelona. So 1899, it's a really interesting period in, uh, in the history of art, architecture, and that sort of thing. And while in Paris they were doing this Art Nouveau movement that was really just focused on innovating and like doing new things and using new materials and coming up with bold new designs that were just entirely new and fresh. In Catalonia and Barcelona specifically, they were in this kind of conflict where they were interested in moving forward into the future and creating kind of futuristic looking designs. But at the same time, they were more concerned with holding on to their roots as a medieval city and all of this kind of history and heritage that exists in the place. And that's exactly the challenge that is constantly facing FC Barcelona, right? The pressure to move forward, the pressure to innovate. You know, we have the innovation hub. We have to keep up with trends in in world sport in terms of how the team is managed spending and all the business aspects of it while still holding on to our core values and our cultural heritage going all the way back to Gamper in the late 19th century. So I feel like this book is a nice, a nice way of thinking about that time. So that's what I chose this week. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that that kind of yeah. got you a little weepy, I think. That's, it did. It did. Yeah. Where's my tissue? Where's my tissue? <laughs> that does, you know, that just makes it more romantic. You know, when we go to Barcelona, I just cannot wait to check out the architecture again because I just take it for granted, you know, that you know that I live here and that I can visit Barcelona so often that I forget about the beauty of the city and the architecture. So uh, I think it's a great choice. So uh, mine is not as deep, unfortunately. That's, that's, <laughs> that's probably for the best. Uh, well, mine is, I, I put there the Nike FCB scarf, because I think, you know, if you don't have a scarf yet of the team, I think that would be a great, 
uh, article to buy first to begin your FCB fandom type of thing, right? So I got mine the first time. Well, actually, I got mine from a friend of mine who came to visit in Barcelona, and I have it with me still. And I took it to me, took it with me to the first match I went to, and that was a lot of fun. And of course, uh, I'm always looking to get another one because I do like the scarves. Uh, I, I like, I prefer those to the jerseys just because I think. Uh, you know, the way they always change the designs and so forth. So the one I picked for this one is a Nike one. It's the, the latest one. It's a Midnight Navy one. It has the Scudo and it has, you know, obviously the Nike emblem with the FC Barcelona. It's a very simple but pretty cool looking one. And I just like uh, the Nike apparel as well with FC Barcelona. So uh, that is my item for the week. It's a good scarf. It's solid, you know, it's just like it's it's never going to go out of style, which is nice. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, my scarf is a little fancier, but I I love it because I got it at the Botiga in Barcelona. And like when you go there and you go to the store, you just you have options that aren't available on the Nike store, for Correct. example, or that sort of thing. So I I really like the one I have, so I'll be bringing that. But this is a a solid scarf, and if you don't have one, it's a good uh, introductory scarf. This is a good entry level Barcelona scarf. You know, it's it's under twenty dollars. It looks good. It'll serve you year after year. It'll never go out of style. It's a solid choice. Thank you, thank yeah. you. That Botica store is amazing, by the way. I can't wait to go again to visit it because I think I'm going to pick up a T-shirt this year. So, but they, like you said, they just have options that they don't offer really in the Nike store, and also I don't think in the U.S. as well. So, right. It's a really good. It's a great opportunity to pick up some, you know, keychains as well. They have they have everything you can think of. Oh right? yeah. Every possible thing. <laughs> we could we could probably take a few uh, few cues from them and add some items to the Barca Talk store. We should get some Barca Talk keychains or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We may we may Facebook live it when we go there. So just to kind of give an idea for people who have not visited uh, the Camp Nou yet. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shift away from that. The Barcelona women's team were on international break, but they made up for lost time with two matches last Tuesday and another on Sunday. They won both games, notably a 2-0 win over Atletico Madrid, Barca Femini's nemesis, in the Wanda on Sunday in front of a record crowd of over 60,000 fans. Prior to Sunday's match, the women faced Real Sociedad. Now with more on that match and news in the women's league, here's Michelle Taylor. After a busy international break in which 16 players were away with their national teams, the first Barca Femini training looked as if it was a battle for the last player standing. Ten players were absent due to injuries, meaning that only 14 were available to prepare for the game against Real Sociedad. Thankfully, when the match day arrived, enough players had recovered to field the team and stock the bench, but we had to borrow Laia Cordina from Barca B to cover for our lack of right-side defenders. Candela Anduja was played at right-back, even though she's usually a winger, but she has played as a defender and as a goalkeeper as she's progressed through age group teams, so she's a handy utility player. The match started evenly and in high tempo, both sides looking for an early goal, and our defence had to be very careful as La Real's Nahikari is a constant threat. In the 18th minute, Barca scored after a high Sociedad goal kick went out to halfway. Melanie Serrano contested the ball in the air, which forced a La Real player to head the ball back towards their goal. Azizata Schwala, in a lot of space, latched onto the ball and sent it rocketing into the net. Her fourth goal in her fourth game. The Nigerian international is certainly making an impact. The lead only lasted nine minutes. Some quick vertical passing by Real Sociedad caught Barca out playing high up the pitch, and Nahikari was able to slip away from Mapleon and chip the ball past an advancing Sandra Panos. 
Game on. For once, the buzzer players didn't look phased and lose focus, as we've often seen them do once the opposition scores. Instead, they went right back into the game. Liga Martins had been swapping wings and certainly looked to have been given more freedom to go where she was needed instead of being stuck out on the left wing. So it was in the 33rd minute that Lika sent in a high cross from the right side of the pitch. Aitana Bomati jumped and headed the ball into the ground, after which it bounced high over Lareal's goalkeeper Mariasun and into the net. Extremely intelligent play from our number 14. Two minutes later, Barca had the ball in the net for the third time from a corner set-piece. Mel Serrano sent in the corner from the right, Marta Torajon flicked her header across the goal and into the left of the net, and the first half finished with a 3-1 Blagrana advantage. Real Sociedad is never down and out. They kept trying, and Chini came close to getting their second, but the ball bounced off the top of the bar. Barca eased off a little, but U.S. Cortez still didn't feel comfortable enough to make any subs until the 73rd minute, when Andresa replaced Amaraui. Three minutes after coming on, Andresa scored an absolute golazo after Alexia had managed to toe-poke the ball away from a L'Oreal midfielder. Andresa latched onto the loose ball, steadied, and shot from way out of the box, the ball curling beautifully away from Mariasson and into the top right of the goal. That was the game over, and the rest of the subs were made over the next five minutes as we wound the clock down and conserved energy. A good win after the intense international break, but we still remain six points behind Atleti. Now to some general news about what's happening with the Spanish Women's League, but first we need to go back a few seasons to get some context, back to when the Spanish Football Federation, the RFEF, was run by Angel Maria Villar. It's no secret that he wasn't thrilled about women's football, and the RFEF, even though it owned the rights to the Women's Liga, did nothing to promote or develop La Liga Femenina. So La Liga, that's the LFP, and its president, Javier Tebas, decided that they would take on developing the women's game. They got together with energy company Iberdrola, who was a massive sponsor of women's sport in Spain, and they immediately got on board with Tebas and the LFP. They approached the RFEF and Villa, saying that both parties were willing to each put in a couple of million euros to develop the women's league. Villa, totally disinterested, told them to go ahead, and so the Liga Iberdrola, the women's football first division, was revitalised and now had sponsorship and leadership. In roughly the same time frame, a new association was formed, the Spanish Women's Football Association, AFE for short. The AFE isn't affiliated to the RFEF, they are more aligned with the LFP. A lot of clubs join the AFE, but of the 16 first division teams, two are missing, FC Barcelona and Athletic Club Bilbao. Back to them later. Things have been heating up in recent times with the AFE, together with Javier Tabas and the LFP, working to set up some parameters for women's football in Spain. Things like determining minimum playing conditions, but also pushing for a collective bargaining agreement and for a paid TV contract to broadcast the women's games, all while the rights for women's football in Spain are owned by the RFEF. Enter new RFEF president Luis Ribiales, whose campaign ticket was heavily infused with promises to develop Spanish women's football, which, to his credit, he has been doing. But now he finds the Liga Iberdrola, his jewel in the crown, firmly in the hands of the LFP and the AFE, without them having the legal rights to the competition. A few weeks ago, the RFEF published a media release reminding everyone that the Federation legally held all the rights, including media rights, for the Women's Liga, so there weren't anyone else's to do anything with other than the RFEF. Then, 
On International Women's Day, the Federation announced that they were reforming another Women's Liga, which would also have the rights for the Copa del Reina and the Champions League qualification, as both these competitions fall under RFEF jurisdiction. Naturally, this has incensed the LFP, the AFE and Tabas, who have all rejected the new proposed Liga. So back to the two clubs that are missing from the AFE, that's Athletic Club de Bilbao and FC Barcelona. Bilbao issued a new statement firmly supporting the new league, while FC Barcelona waffled on in their usual way, muttering things like, they will support what is best overall for women's football in Spain. What the next step will be is anyone's guess. Public reaction has been largely on the side of the LFP and the AFE, as they've been the main drivers for the Liga Iberdrola in recent years, but they've got ahead of themselves in assuming ownership of the competition, which isn't legally theirs. As well, the RFEF has their own players' association, which takes care of all Spanish players' welfare. Also mentioned when the RFEF introduced the new Liga was the possibility of Real Madrid finally forming a women's team to play in it. Not for next season, but maybe the next. Two years ago, Florentino Perez announced that he would be forming a women's division within the club, but that hasn't come to be, so we won't hold our breaths about a Madrid women's first team just yet. As for Barcelona's waffling and fence-sitting, man, sometimes I just wish they would grow some and actually make a definitive statement about what they think. This inability to lead from the front and with directness has a trickle-down effect throughout the entire organisation, something that I doubt is ever going to change under the current president and his board. But hey, as long as the men's first team keeps winning, exciting signings keep happening, and the season ticket holders are happy, everything's okay, right? Fiscabasa, e forza basa femini. That was Michelle Taylor. She'll break down the Atletico match the next time she's on, and you can follow Michelle's coverage of the women's team at the Twitter handle, at Barca Women. Now, the first team on Wednesday, we're in the Champions League. It was the round of 16, second leg against Olympic Lyon. As we know, the first leg was a very frustrating and sort of disappointing scoreless draw in Lyon. But for this match, they came to the Camp Nou and... It got off to a good start. We went up two goals to nothing, and then Leon scored one to come back, and we were a little tense for a period of time. But ultimately, in the end, we won 5-1 to one and are comfortably through to the quarterfinals. And, of course, the draw has already happened. We'll be facing Manchester United in the quarterfinals. But let's talk about this match specifically. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, Valverde went with his strongest eleven. You know, we went what we thought was going to happen, especially having our tour back for this match, I think was going to be always a difference maker. Um, unfortunately, we did not have Dembele because he did get hurt in the last match. So Coutinho got another start to get another opportunity to see what he could do. But overall, you know, I definitely had, you know, I was, it's funny because the days leading up to the, to the match, Brian, I was kind of nervous, you know, a little bit. But then when I realized that we had Arthur and, we were at home. I, I felt a little bit more confident. And sure enough, we were able to get the 5-1 victory. Now, again, uh, the night before, Ronaldo had his hat trick and everyone on social media were going crazy about the GOAT and the greatest ever. And Messi's like, well, Hold my beer. I'm the best. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm the best all-around footballer that ever lived because not only do I score goals, but I also give assists. Right. He was involved in four of those five goals in one way or another, <laughs> either as the scorer or the assist maker. Yeah. I mean, it's insane, Brian. I, I mean, mean Ronaldo just... doesn't do assists. He hasn't done assists really in a very long time. 
No, and he doesn't by accident. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he doesn't want to involve his team. But, you know, I was going to hold up the messy discussion for later, but we can go into it now. Sure. Because, you know, no, I mean, we, we could talk about it now because, you know, it deserves its moment. He is by far, again, he lives for these moments. You know, this moment we needed him to shine. And, of course, he did not disappoint, you know. Um, what can you say? The first penalty kick, the Panenka. <laughs> yeah. <and> just, <laughs> I mean, Brian, there's just something I – you know, when you do that type of goal and, and the way it hits the net, there's just something for me that's just super sexy. I don't know what it is, but I just love the way it looks and I love the way it sounds. And I mean, that was just the first start. Now, obviously, there was a little controversy with the penalty itself because, you know, Suarez did step on the defender. However, the defender did go to ground and he did not help his cause by doing that. And Suarez made a good move and he got the penalty called. And it did go to VAR, but they still uh, called it a penalty. Right. And the commentator who I was uh, listening to watching it here in the States was saying that, uh, you know, what's the use of VAR if after reviewing it, you still make the wrong call? And I and I said to myself, well, you're wrong. It's the right call. <laughs> and that's why VAR worked. I mean, yeah, it's just like you broke it down. Yes, Suarez did step on him, but he would not have stepped on him had he not been fouled. Exactly. Exactly. In the box. And especially it's in a the penalty. Box, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is the most basic rule. A foul in the box is a penalty. Right. Like that is it. I mean, again, the defender, you know, he had his hands up. I remember before they went to the replays, I was I just was laughing. I was like, dude, you went to grounds. And again, as I always And you, you know, missed the ball. And yeah, you missed the ball. But I, you know how I always get mad at our defenders when we go to ground when we don't need to. Yes. Again, he didn't have to go to ground on that play. No. He got used. He Suarez did a really nice move on him. Yeah, he did. But if you just have to cover that up, right? If he covers that up, Suarez has a smaller angle to shoot on, right? So who knows? But Messi was able to take the opportunity, and we were off with the one nothing lead. Yeah, and again, the Panenka goal. It's it's so it's like in that moment. I mean, round of sixteen in the grand scheme of things, right? It's not a final. It's not the highest pressure, but you know that your chances of going forward in the tournament are at stake and you have what is essentially a free goal. It's yours yeah. to lose. It's still, yeah. it's pretty gutsy to do a Panenka in that moment. Yeah. And, and it was, cheeky just, even. it was, it was cheeky. It was definitely cheeky, but awesome. Right. Yeah. And then on the, on the third goal, you know, in that moment before the third goal, there was definitely, like you said, butt clenching moments, right? Because Leon had a pep in their step after they scored that goal to make it two one. But on the third goal, uh, that is the, you know, the, I don't even know what to say with that goal. I mean, it's just, he, as I always say, use the right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he finally did. And he juked those two guys with that one move with a fake shot. Those guys go to ground and then he comes to the right and he was able to get enough pace on it to beat the goalkeeper. And it just trickles into the net. It was just, because he uh, got a hand on it. And he did get a hand on so it. he, he took some of the juice out of it, but it then it just it. trickled in, and that's that's got to be tough for the uh, Leon defenders to just watch it slowly roll in. But yeah, the double cutback, he cuts it back yeah. twice, gets yeah. the guy to ground, scores with his right foot, which is just as good as most people's bet dominant foot. <laughs> yeah, you know so what I'm saying. Was, he's I know he's left footed. <laughs> yes, yes. No, but it was just, it was just, first of all, it's a good move, but also just, you know, you could see how Leon were shading him to always go to that direction. And by countering that, 
both guys went to ground and then he had a one-on-one with the keeper and he was able to take advantage. And then obviously when he scored that goal, that alleviated a lot of pressure. Yeah, that that was a load off. But, you know, before that goal, Dembele came on for Coutinho in the 70th minute. And I really felt like, I mean, I mentioned this in the new segment, but I, I really felt like that was not the best call. I know that we were only down one goal. Leon was coming at us hard. It looked, it looked, uh, yeah, like you said, it looked clenchy, it looked tense, <laughs> and and Valverde decided to risk Dembele, and you know it did. He he got the payoff he was looking for. He won five one. Dembele scored a goal in the eighty sixth minute, but now Dembele is out three to four weeks. So you know he he stands by the decision, and a lot of people are criticizing the medical staff, but. Valverde has taken responsibility for it. So I think he's at least a stand-up guy in that. But what do you think? Was it worth it? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was worth it. I mean, this is the thing, you know, it's a lot, it's, you know, obviously it's so easy to dissect the move after, right? Because he did get hurt. But I just think, again, uh, I wanted to talk about this after, but about Coutinho's performance, we needed Dembele to come in to give us that spark. So again, he knows how to play those corners in the 4-3-3 and Coutinho doesn't. Right. And it's night as day. It doesn't even matter if you put Dembele on the right or the, even if he's on the left, he provides so much space for us on that side, even with Alba coming behind him. It just doesn't look like a tangled mess. Coutinho, for some reason, has that one move and he does not use the touchline to go down to the touchline often. No. And by not doing that, he's always crashing into Messi mm-hmm. and Suarez doesn't have the space. It's easier to defend. And again, it's the same debacle. Now, I personally would like to see Coutinho try the right side and see if there's any opening on that. But to me, Brian, I just think that the game needed it. We needed to advance. That is like the most important thing. We were able to advance. And fortunately, now we have a two-week international break. So it doesn't kill us completely with this injury. But I get what you're saying, but we just needed to advance. That was the most important thing. Right, but now he's going to miss the quarterfinals. In addition to the La Liga matches, which I'm not so worried about, but he'll probably miss the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, it, again, that's a risk that we, we had to take, right? I mean, this is unfor- I mean, I think that maybe in the prior match is where I would fault Valverde more than this match. Right, right. You know, having him start play the whole maybe 60 to 70 minutes, then I think that would have helped alleviated that problem with the hamstring. I don't know. I just, that's just my personal belief just from playing sports and just understanding how these things work of my background and so forth. But I just think it's easier with a player like that to have them start knowing they're going to start as rather than come off the bench. Now, I mean, to me, he was, again, you saw he comes in and directly, directly, we get three goals. True. <laughs> I mean, True. it's not, it's, it's not a fluke, <laughs> right? It's not by accident. Correct. Well, there is Correct. one other thing that I'd like to talk about that I think you might not like, and, but I want to okay. start, I want to get into it by uh, asking, cause you mentioned Arthur, what do you think the, in the importance of Arthur was in this match? Huge, huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is by far now becoming our most important midfielder by holding the possession and switching the point of play. This, it's such an underrated thing that he does because it's not a flashy thing. But let me tell you, Brian, I mean, how many times was he getting nicked on his heels 
and he did not lose the ball. Right. Normal, average midfielders are losing that ball. Oh, yeah. And it's going to a counter, right? I am constantly surprised at how much uh, pressure he can take coming at his heels and still maintain possession of the ball. Yeah, it's an impressive skill to have. I can tell you that. It's because a lot of times, you know, when you have someone bearing down on your back, you can feel it. And sometimes you get rushed to make a bad pass but he makes the best passes. Let me just give you his little stat line here, Brian, mm-hmm. from the match. Yeah. I mean, this is this thing is just so beautiful and sexy, I can't even describe <laughs> it, okay? He had a 99% pass success rate. Woo! What? Yes. <laughs> like, out of 72 total passes, and he, had, he led Barcelona with the total passes. So, again, so yeah, some of them are going to be a lot of back passes and so forth, but his one through ball directly led to the second goal to Suarez, which was a beauty. I mean, a beauty ball. He got the thing, he looks up, and he gives the right pace to Suarez, where Suarez is able to make that nice move himself and then pass it off to Coutinho for the goal. For me, our tour is key for us because we can survive without Dembele. We can survive. Right. But having our tour there, you just see the, the calmness, our possession – we glide through going left and right, up and down, which when he's not there, I don't care who you put there, it's just not the same. Right. Well, so here's what I wanted to point out, and I don't think you're going to like it, but okay. it's worth pointing out. The three second half goals all came after Artur came out and Vidal came in. Now, I'm not suggesting that I'm glad Artur came out. I'm not. But once Vidal came on, he started essentially kind of playing Leon's game, which is a little scrappier, and he was getting in guys' faces, and he was making tackles and making ball recoveries that in this particular game, Arthur was not. We've seen him pickpocket the ball from opponents before, so we know he has that in him and in his game. But in this particular game, Arthur was not doing that, and Vidal comes on, and that's what he's doing, and I think in that moment, that is what we needed. In a way, it was a good switch because the way that Leon was playing us I think we needed someone more like Vidal to get those balls back, get the recovery, upset their play. And at least one of those goals came right off of a Vidal tackle that recovered the ball. I forget which one exactly. But I think in this case, Vidal was the right man for the job. Interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. Because because I just, you know, I just correlated with Dembele coming. Our counterattack was just that much more dangerous. Now, you have a good point that Vidal made those tackles and he was a little bit more scrappier. But for me, the game didn't really need that because if Dembele's in there and they're trying to push forward, then we have more chances for the counter. And that's what happened. Right. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's not a it's not a you know, it's not a dig on our tour by any means, but it's just I, I see what you're saying in that. I mean. If Dembele didn't come into the match and Vidal came and we scored those three goals, then I would say yes. I just think maybe it's a little bit of a combination of those two things with Dembele's speed to open up the counter and also the physicalness that Vidal brought. Yeah. And again, you know, it's Artur is amazing at maintaining possession, but he's not necessarily always the one who's going to get it back. He's the one who yeah, you give the ball point. once you recover yeah, it yeah. and he can hold on to it. So he has yeah. that kind of confidence and smoothness and security there. But uh, we were, uh, apart from him, we were kind of losing the ball a good bit to Lyon, and we needed someone else in there, I think, to to get in there and get the ball back. And that, and Vidal did that well in this particular game. Yeah, I would have been curious to see how, if Artur could have played 10 more minutes. Yeah. 
with with Dembele. Right. Because I think that would have been a, a nice because that's the thing is that I don't want to put all the blame on Coutinho, but man, I mean, yes, he scored a goal. He looked a little bit better, but man, he just he doesn't do anything. He's always cutting into the middle and passing backwards, right? And to me, it's I I mean, how many more opportunities is he gonna get? I mean, he's I mean, for as much money as we're paying, he needs to be more impactful and he just isn't. You know, how many more matches I, I are almost, in the season? Would... Ten. There's ten more La Liga matches. If we uh, we've got the Copa del Rey final, so that's eleven, uh, <laughs> and we're recording this before the Betty's match, so we'll include that one. And then if we get to the Champions League final, that's two quarters, two semis, and the finals. So uh, sixteen. That's how many more chances yeah. Coutinho's getting. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's insane. I don't know if he has dirty pictures of Valverde like uh, like Andres Gomes. <laughs> well, you know everyone on the squad. Uh, Arthur did this, said this in his press conference week before. I think it was PK. Valverde has said it. Uh, Valverde actually uh, even said at his press conference leading up to the Betty's match that uh, he did have a chat with Coutinho to try and help him. We don't know the details of that chat. Of course, he was cagey about that, and I totally understand that. I'm not. I'm not trying to criticize him too much for that. But uh, yeah, a chat has been had, so we know that now. But Arthur was saying, you know, we need to. We need to give him support. We know he's a good player. It's pretty much the same thing. I believe it was PK said the week before. We know he's good. We need to, you know, these things happen. You get in a bad run of form. You need to support him. He's a quality player. And these are all true things. Uh, For us as fans, you know, we can get, we can get frustrated very easily and we can become impatient. And I, you know, I think we've been trying to be as patient as possible, but we would like to see, some kind of uh, progression. I think that's the main thing. It's, it seems like every week it's very much the same thing. And we'd like to see at least like slightly better performances and improvement in some area, ultimately leading to a, a full kind of arrival at what you might call like the top 11, which right now he's not really in. Yeah. It's funny. Could you imagine getting a motivational speech by Valverde? Oh my gosh. <laughs> How would that go? <laughs> just keep trying look at my office i only have one picture <laughs> yeah have a seat yeah. so could you do better <laughs> yes i could <laughs> okay do that yeah do better see, see you at practice yeah see you on the training ground <laughs> meeting over that's a, that's exactly how i think it would go you know uh again this is the thing with 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 his performance, it's not as we're talking, it's only two games. Let's be patient or three games or seven or 12, Brian, right. or it's, 20. They are adding and up. They are adding up. And the thing, how many shots did he get blocked? Again, doing the same move. He got two shots blocked. Well, that's you know? the thing. He, he's he's sort of obsessed with this one move and he needs to mix it up. But I, I think that he completely has the capacity to do that. I just yeah. I don't understand why he's so kind of fixated on on pulling off this one particular thing nor do i i mean you know when debelli is on the left side right what he's able to do is he's able to use the whole touch line and also cut in the middle right like that's what you have to do and coutinho is just a one-trick pony right now he's always trying to cut in the middle and as we always talk about he's crashing in and making the, the spaces smaller for suarez and so forth he just needs to use the touch line and until he does that then he's going to find openings in the middle where he can just find those passes because he is a good passer and he just needs to work on, you know, holding onto the ball as well, because 
what we just talked about our tour being glamorous with that our uh, Coutinho is not right when Coutinho has someone bearing down on him he's about to lose the ball yeah all right now turning away from that debate uh what did you think about Suarez because he uh, actually looked pretty sharp in this match he did he looked really enchufado right he looked really plugged in Mm -hmm. uh he was definitely a you know a tornado in the box you know just creating havoc he caused the the first penalty then obviously the second one with his touch he didn't have a ham foot on the touch and he was able to really make that nice move and then when the keeper came to have the ability and the calmness more than anything just to lay it off to Coutinho which is really smart Coutinho had an open netter you know he had those dummies a couple of times where they were working yeah and when they work when they work they are a thing of beauty I have to say those are just school school playground type of moves that maybe once every 20 times happens, you know, but when I, I know the one you're thinking of, right. The one in the middle of the park where he had the center back on him and it went through his legs yeah. and the center back's legs. I mean, that oh, is something man. of look, that was the thing. Of that was so fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. But again, for all the things he did great again, his passing was horrendous. You know, obviously the layoff pass was great, but when he was posting up, you know, when you had the center back on his back, holding the ball he was trying to go for a really low percentage through balls, which had no gain, basically. Right. All he had to do was keep the possession. Again, it's all about, you know, obviously these are elite players. I know they're trying to make these elite plays. But again, he if it was one time, I would say, okay. But it was like four or five times where he lost possession because he was trying to make the greatest pass. And that's just not what he's known for. Right. And so just hold the ball, make those passes. But overall, you know, so I can't complain about Suarez's performance because when he plays like that, we are untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about on the defensive end? Because we, it was funny because a buddy of mine came over. We watched the game together beforehand. He asked me, what do you think the scoreline is going to be? He said, I think uh, 2-1 or 2 nothing. I forget. But I, I actually looked him in the eye and I said, I think it's going to be 4-1. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Nostra Brian. Yeah. I mean, they outdid me, but I was uh, I was closer. But yeah, I figured we would let one goal in. But aside from that, what do you think about the uh, the defensive work? Yeah, I mean, as we call them, the battery, right? So we're talking Ter Stegen and goal, mm-hmm. the two center backs, Longley and PK, and the Busquets up the middle, right? So they're basically our backbone on defense. I mean, I thought they played overall really well. I mean, this the goal that Leon scored was a scrum. It wasn't something on a counter where. Uh, we were, li- you know, liable and back on defense or something like this. It was just a scrum. We didn't clear properly. And obviously it was a foul on the player of Lyon that jumped the back of Langley. And, you know, it was an unlucky uh, bounce. And then they were able to get a goal. And so to me, the defense played really spectacular. I mean, we were able to, you know, since we had the majority of the possession, uh, Lyon had limited opportunities. I mean, they only had, uh, you know, 11 total shots on on. 11 total shots, but two shots on goal. Right. So to me, that just really shows it limited. Now, my only question on defense was Sergio Roberto. So I ask you first, what do you think of your boy Blue Eyes' play on defense? Well, um, he he didn't make any notable (laughs) mistakes. I don't think. I mean, he was was covering his territory. He wasn't Mm -hmm. able to uh, get forward very much, so he was generally sitting back doing more defensive or you know mid midfield duties uh you know it was it was uh it was fine i it was workmanlike Ooh, <laughs> he came out I like that. he punched the clock he did his job <laughs> and he punched out 
like nothing stood out as particularly bad yeah. for me or particularly great. I mean, I think he did he did fine too, but I'm starting to just feel a little bit more confident on Semedo's defensive responsibilities just because oh, of his speed. Yeah, and just the way he's been playing. I, you know, again, I think a, a move, you know, for example, instead of Vidal coming in, because you know my feelings on Vidal, mm-hmm. uh, would be to bring Semedo in and then, you know, push Sergio Roberto and then go into a 4-4-2 type of function and try to keep more possession because I think that's where Sergio Roberto thrives. Now, like you said, he didn't get too many opportunities to go forward. A couple of times he did his patented go up the right, go towards the middle move, mm-hmm. which was great to see. But overall, you know, for me, the defense held its, you know, held its own and it didn't allow too many opportunities. I think that's always the key. And again, Ter Stegen, for the most part was, was spectacular that night again this is the other thing too brian he didn't he's he's not german number one yet <laughs> what a nightmare what a nightmare he will be it's just oh, a matter man. of time they picked neuer who neuer had a blunder in his champions league match against liverpool allowed a goal but whatever uh but again our battery is solid again especially with umtiti coming back we have depth and Valverde has options. So I'm curious to see, we're recording this before the Betis match, if Umtiti gets the start tonight. Right, right. All right, well, so that's Champions League past, Champions League future. We're going up against Manchester United in the quarterfinal. Uh, A pretty good draw, given the options, I think. And so what are your reactions to the draw, to the opponent, and why don't you project an aggregate scoreline? Okay. Um, you know, my my attitude towards this, I always think that we're going to get the hardest team. So I was thinking we're going to get Man City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got Manchester United, I was, you know, I'm, I'm OK with it. I think we match up really well with them. I think we have a huge advantage on our first touch ability, our passing. I think they are really good on the counter. So they're going to be one of the better counter teams we've we think counter teams we've played, <laughs> especially the way that I was going to say. Encounter. I know. <laughs> <laughs> But they're definitely, you know, they're they're playing with more confidence now. Now that they have a happy locker room, you know, with Solskjaer as the as the manager, um, I definitely think we should advance this. You know, especially with Atletico not there, Real Madrid not there, um, PSG not there as well. I think the road is definitely more open for us. And so for a combined scoreline, I could see something like four two. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more like seven three. Ooh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always think of the super fans, you know, the Go Bears yeah, uh, yeah. SNL fans, and they would just call out these ridiculous score lines ahead of ahead of games. Like, But yeah, no, I think you're right. Something along the line of uh, 4-2 with us going ahead seems uh, extremely possible, pretty realistic. I think it's going to be a good tie. It's going to be some good yeah. football to watch, I think. And I do think that we'll come out on the end roughly around the score line you've projected i'm not worried about their defense i think right. that we should be able to run around them with dembele hopefully if he's hurt if he's not injured but also just having Messi, obviously his ability to beat people one-on-one especially you know quote-unquote premier league defenders who are a little bit more lumbering than la liga defenders you know right that's what i mean they're more for physicality and so i think that's to Messi's advantage and again i just think this is going to be a lot of fun, right? Because they're two historic clubs. We have a good record against them in champions. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And especially that's going to be the 
Uh, that's going to be the Tuesday after our Barcelona weekend. So we may be able to watch it together in Madrid, buddy. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yes. Fun. Yeah, I just thought of that right now. We are going to be able to watch it in Madrid together. Oh man. See, I've been so focused on just the weekend that we're gonna yeah. where we're gonna actually be at the game. I didn't even think about how continuing to be there, because Megan and I are coming on the Saturday of the Atletico match and we're staying for a whole week. So actually, yeah, we're gonna be able to do some more podcast stuff together yes. the week after as well. Oh man, Correct. this I gotta yes. I gotta add some things to the whiteboard. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> I gotta write some new things up on there. Yeah, we're gonna be able to watch because that's remember they just um, made the time for the Atletico match on Saturday because of the Champions League that week. So we're gonna be able to watch the match together, buddy. Oh, Two matches together. Two. Wow, this is gonna it's be fantastic. Supernova. I love it. All right, well, let's uh, switch gears just a little bit and cover the uh, Betis match in La Liga. So on La Liga match day twenty eight. Barcelona went to Seville to face Betis in the Benito Villamarin. Betis won in their first La Liga match 4-3 back in November. That was one of only two Barca losses and the last one in La Liga. Barcelona came out in a 4-4-2 and were putting a lot of pressure on, though Betis did well to pass the ball through that pressure. They created chances, but poor finishing left them unable to do any better than scoring one goal when Barca were already three goals ahead. Messi had already scored two at that point, and just a few minutes later, he scored his third, the goal of the game, I think, for yet another hat trick this year. I mean, I'm 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 just speechless with this last goal, Brian. I mean, this thing is I think it's up there as like one of the best goals I've ever seen. It's just Yeah. It did I mean it, everything was going in the opposite direction and he cuts it back and rainbows it into the goal. And I mean, the goalkeeper's I, response, I saw the footage of the goalkeeper afterwards just shaking his head, just going I mean, what it? Yeah. What can you do? <laughs> I mean, first of all, let's put everything into context here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was kind of getting upset about the short corner kicks. You know, I I think we lose a lot of opportunities, but in this case, we did a short corner kick and then we still crossed it in. You know, he takes the ball. You know, first of all, the goalkeeper is a tall guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's what six four at least at six five maybe. Sure, something like this. Sure, and to be able to read that the goalkeeper was off his line just enough to put that over him. And then the goalkeeper doesn't even touch it. It's a perfect arc that hits the crossbar and just goes right in. I mean, it. I jumped up. I, like, <laughs> I, I mean, everyone is going crazy on Twitter right now with this goal because, again, we just talked about the Lyon performance, which was epic. And then he just follows this up. And, and the way he scored this last goal is just... <sighs> And now we have to wait two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about the other things that I had problems with this game. But, I mean, we were able to take our chances when we had them and score, whereas Betis didn't. You know, Betis definitely dominated this match, especially the first half. But, I mean, again, we have Messi that basically nullifies all the bad things that Brock already does. <laughs> right. Well, just to put a little bit of perspective on how much better – Betis played the game, uh, you know, roughly speaking. Uh, if you go, if you look at those certain stats, right, like possession, for once in a great while, Betis had more possession than Barcelona. They had fifty-six point one percent of the possession. They actually completed more passes than Barcelona, no. which is something you never see. Five eighty-one to four sixty. They didn't commit that many more fouls 
than Barcelona. They played a really good game, actually. As I tweeted out, you know, we played well on Wednesday night. And to do a 180 of what we did on Wednesday night in that formation, players that we used, and also just the vibe that you're telling the team that we're going to go more conservative because Betis was able to press us high in the camp now. Now, I just don't like that approach. I just, like I always say, work harder, not, you know, work smarter, not harder, right? So, again, we let them have the possession. You know, in the first half, they had 59%. Yeah. You know, so, obviously, it went down. So, really high. And we struggled to get the ball up to the front three, you know? And when you have Vidal up there, yes. You know, as you talked about in the Leo match, that match, you thought, demanded a Vidal performance. In this one, I would say the opposite. I mean, I would have liked to have seen Sergio Roberto Eleni up there, just someone with a little bit more give-and-go passing and moving. And again, I just don't understand this formation. Again, give Suarez a break. I mean, you saw he got injured in this last half, so he's not going to play now in the international break, but this is a perfect opportunity to use the subs, especially when we're up three to one. And again, I just hate that Valverde always goes into these away matches. So conservative. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So let's, let's try and break this down a little bit. Cause I, I honestly, you're, you're kind of spiraling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all over the place. I yeah. just, I'm, I'm euphoric from the messy Patrick, right. but I'm also disgusted by it. Didn't, it didn't have to go like this. You know, we, we could have, possess the ball better we could have controlled the game better right and i just think it's easier to do if we were in a 4-3-3 for example to spread the 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 ball around so yes i am i'm all over the place too because we just finished watching this so i'm kind of yeah and you know just watch you know just the euphoric of the messy hat trick right right yeah for the champions league we had days to cool off and then (laughs) and then we recorded and we were very thoughtful and sober about the whole thing but now we're recording this right after the game so uh let's break down the formation because a, a notable omission knowing that Dembele was out injured uh, it was a notable omission that Coutinho didn't um, really didn't play he came on as a late sub but he was not in the starting lineup and the formation the lineup that Valverde did make was more was a 4-4-2 with Busquets, Vidal, Artur and Rakitic in the midfield while just having Messi and Suarez up front so the way that I read that was that, yes, it's on one hand more defensive, but knowing how Betis was going to play with three at the back and flood the midfield, I thought it was actually a possession-oriented tactic, or I could see an angle of that lineup that was geared towards trying to maintain more possession in the middle of the, of the park. Uh, but that's not really how it played out. So what do you think about that? Or was it just meant to be defensive to try and put up more barriers yeah it was just to put more barriers and the other thing too is you know when we passed out of it like we got the possession we didn't know where to go right right because we're just not used to playing this formation and also having Vidal on that side with our tour it clogged our tour to possess the ball move backwards and go sideways or what he wanted to do because if he went to the left Vidal was in his way (laughs) which normally wouldn't happen in a 4-3-3 so you know like you said, yes, it's to create more barriers. But again, if if we were, it was more almost like a four-one-one because Messi was coming in so much in the center to help get the ball back, right? So Suarez was almost by himself. Now, if it was a true four-four-two, then Suarez would have had a partnership with another striker, like a true partnership, and then maybe that would have helped us out a lot because the defense had to worry about. It. But then they just had to worry about Suarez. So it's three versus one. And again, I just don't get 
why you just do this 180, especially after we were playing so well from the Lyon match. You know, on on Wednesday, we were in a 4-3-3, right? Mm. And the reason why it worked so well is because our tour has a lot of real estate to work with. So does Rakitic on the left and the right. Okay. Okay. Now I understand that Betis overflows the the middle, right? That's fine. But just maybe bring Messi back further in to be like a, a false midfielder. And then they still have to worry about Suarez and Coutinho, for example, or Suarez and Malcolm, who everyone is just clamoring to have play. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And so anytime Artur got the ball, for example, you know, Vidal is to his side. So he doesn't have that room to move around to get free. So he has to make a quick pass and they're just, no one's following with him, right? Busquets was there with him, but also they had more midfielders around him. So it was hard for him to distribute. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you want, you want to be able to use the talent because our players are super talented, Brian, and they can hold off a defender enough to make a good play and to move forward. Now I understand that, you know, in the first match against Betis, I think it was just more of a surprise, right? That first time we were just not used to what they were going to bring to us, but having that experience, having that on video and knowing exactly how they're going to play. You just prepare this week that, okay, yes, they're going to be really aggressive, but we just have to bring Messi in further and just use long balls to counter that just to break it up a little bit, because as we saw, their finishing is not that good. Right. Right. They'll, they'll throw the ball in. They'll take a lot of chances. They'll put men forward, but the finishing is not that great. So their their tactics are actually pretty strong as far as them playing the game, but as far as scoring goals, in fact, we posted an infographic that showed how few goals they've scored uh considering how hard they try to score goals. Exactly. And I and I get, you know, you know, if if we were athletic Bilbao, right? And we don't have those super talented wingers, midfielders to possess the ball, then okay, go in a 4-4-2. But with our team, the way we're able to possess and dance and move, all we have to do is withstand the first 10 minutes because of the home crowd that's involved and the way Betis plays. But, you know, when you limit the amount of real estate that our tour can move around, as you saw today, it limits his passing ability and his effectiveness. Right. Yes. Fair enough. And I think it's, you sort of mentioned this already, but it bears repeating, I think. So in the 64th minute, when Semedo came on, that put Sergio Roberto forward and now you have someone who's a little bit more give-and-go oriented, a little more forward-looking in Sergio Roberto, whereas Art Vidal, I should say, he, you know, he's making runs, but he's not doing those one-twos. Exactly. That's just not his game. Right. You know? His game is just more direct. And again, this has been my, my gripe this whole season. You know, the, the beauty of the 4-3-3 is to be able to use the, all the spaces in the field to really spread the defense out. Now, we're like in this weird 4-3-3. It's not a true 4-3-3, and we negate that right side all the time. And, you know, I, again, I understand you're away at Betis, but again, it's Betis. <laughs> we're Barcelona. Like, come on. Like, play play the, you know, that we're the we're the favorite. Yeah, we right? are we're the, the stronger team, right? We're the stronger team on paper. So play to our strengths. You know, I just, again, I, I like I tweeted here. It's just like, okay, you know how we played on Tuesday against Leon. We're going to do the complete different and we're going to have Vidal in there to really clog up everything that's going <laughs> in the middle. And it's funny because the commentator here said this was Vidal's best performance that he saw. So it's interesting. Just the point of view of what the commentators were saying. I mean, yes, he had a decent game, but I just think, there's other ways to go about this where we can dominate and work, you know, still be defensive and still have more chances to score. Well, again, it comes back to 
you know, what does it mean for Vidal to have a good game? It means something different than what it means for Artur to have a good game or for Busquets to have a good game or for Rakitic to have a good game. For Vidal to have a great performance, it's for him to be his, you know, the most himself, (laughs) the the best at being him uh, that that you would expect. And he he is when he is playing lately, the last couple of matches he's played. He is uh, playing more and more like himself. And where the problem arises is with what that is. It's not It's not I'm, a question of him being him, right? It's yeah, a question yeah. of, do you want him? on? <laughs> is that what you want on the field? And I don't. And you don't. And <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not, um, uh, it's well, not my favorite. I'll say that. No, but I, yeah, I mean, I think he has a role, especially in the second half with 10 minutes left in a game. Sure. Like, I think that's where he is important for us because he gives us that tenacity right so you know like you were just asking i think maybe his dream stat line is one yellow card <laughs> uh 60 passing and just some elbows around here you know just to make sure that you know they understand that it's not a soft defense you know right and a lot of recoveries that, I, exactly and recoveries there you go maybe five recoveries there you go that'd be like a dream but again i just think he's more suited to be a second half sub with 10 minutes left when the other team is tired and he can just imposes will with his physicality you know as a full game you see his limitations i mean he made some decent passes and so forth but you know where his spacing is and he limits what the other players do then i just think it's a bad move to put him on as a starter yeah and especially because you you notice that he tires by you know roughly the 60th minute so you know is it better to start him and run him for 60 minutes or bring him on with only 30 minutes left and let him do i think that would be better yeah keep him on the bench and bring him in with 30 minutes left to give someone else a break and then he'll kind of always be fresh and he'll be able to bring all of his qualities to bear for the entire time he's on the field sure i i agree with that and again it's just you know this is another point of contention for me too is his substitution patterns you know why wait so late what patterns (laughs) yeah exactly it's just chaos It's just chaos. I mean, especially waiting so late to put players in, you know, you're telling, for example, Brian, you're telling me that, you know, after we were up three, one to take out Suarez and just put Malcolm in there. Yeah. Why? Why not? I mean, we're already pretty much winning the match and just use Malcolm's speed to, I mean, you saw Bartra is not the fastest guy and having a speedster out there is going to make Bartra think twice of going up forward. And, you know, it's, you're trying to preserve your team because we are in three competitions, and I don't think Valverde remembers this. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think that he's looking at the week ahead and the international break as essentially a, a free pass for him. He can just yeah. play play them as much as he wants, as many minutes as he wants. But, I mean, even once we get the third goal, at that point, we're up 3 nothing, And, sure, in the 82nd minute, Betty scores one, and you're saying you can't keep them from scoring three more or two more goals at that point. So at least after the the third goal, right? Take Suarez off, for example. He's banged up, man. I mean, you can just see it. I mean, today in the beginning of the the first half, you can just see he was struggling a bit. He missed a bunch of those easy, uh, you know, I think those two opportunities that were there available for him. There was the one in the first half where he just kind of, you know, you're expecting dynamite (laughs) and it was just like a feather. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was like an old wet firecracker. 
Exactly. And then he had the one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And I was thinking about this. If you were sitting next to me, I would say, are you feeling confident that Suarez was going to score on that 1v1? <laughs> you know, I didn't. No. You know, I just... But then you saw on the second goal, he makes that chunk pass, you know, behind the heel pass that went through the defense and goes right to Messi. And then he scores an incredible goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, On so his third like, attempt. Exactly. And he, he makes... I think it's just easier for him when he's the chaos and it's the most difficult play to happen as opposed to the clinical finish, right? So... I mean, obviously, the, his goal was was remarkable. Him, you know, skirting through the defenders left and right, and you thought he was going to lose the ball, but he kept enough balance to put it through. And that's what's just funny, right? Because, you know, people were complaining on, on Twitter as well, just, you know, he misses the clinical finishes, but then he makes this incredible goal and this, you know, pass, you know, after he was hand-passing a little bit this, this afternoon, you know? So, I don't know. I just, I, I know how important Suarez is to our attack, and we have to preserve him. He's like a heavyweight fighter. You just got to give him breaks and nights off. Yeah, yeah. And he got he got properly uh, banged up in this game. I, I think that Coutinho was going to come on for him one way or the other, but sure. it looked like he took a uh, fairly serious knock just before Coutinho was subbed in for him. So it, what was already going to happen got a little bit more necessary. Yeah, I mean, especially now that he's not going to go play with Uruguay. So right. he, you know, he he barely walked off the pitch. You know, I was watching before we recorded. Um, he had a hard time walking. He was walking with the trainers. And, you know, again, you know that he's had ankle problems this whole season. So why chance it? He's super important. I mean, again, I I just want to use the bench. Our bench is good. They are talented. They are not going to give up the lead. But you have to give them the opportunities and the confidence to do that. Yeah, it's it's inexplicable. Well, let's close this out and bring it back to Messi for just a moment because it was at least his third hat trick of the year by my count, although I didn't have time to do a, a full full breakdown of that. But uh, I think you're right. as, yeah, I believe it's his third hat trick of the year, and he's now tied for the most hat tricks in La Liga at 34. He's tied with uh, the gentleman from Portugal who no longer plays in La Liga. Yeah. I mean, did you see the Betis crowd applauding his last goal? How would you not? It's It was so beautiful. <laughs> As they say here, obra de arte, right? right. So a, an artwork, you know? So again, I mean, again, what can we say? You know, he is... That's Art Nouveau for you. That's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we saw, obviously, what he did against Leon with his two goals, but more importantly, to involve the other players to get the two assists. And today, when we did not have our A game today and just the, the limited opportunities you saw what he was able to do. And again, as we talked about before, he sees colors, man. Yeah. I mean, he just sees colors. Yeah. He's incredible, but not just that goal. The first goal, the free kick, that was a beauty. Well, I can tell you that when that foul happened, you know, it was an iffy call, right? Because uh, the Betis fans were complaining that it was kind of a light foul. Mm-hmm but it's the perfect angle for a left footer. And we hadn't seen a, a free kick in a while, and that was a perfect opportunity. He barely put any kind of bend on it. I mean, he did a little bit, but it was more about the pace and the accuracy in the corner. And Lopez was there, but it was just such a great shot. And, you know, and that's the thing, you know, if before that free kick, we were being completely dominated. We had nothing going on. I think maybe that was our second chance in their area where we attack them, yeah, you know? So we were able to take opportunity there. So, yeah, the free kick. Again, he's, you know, 
I just don't understand with the debate. Like he is the best player I've ever seen. <laughs> he does everything on such the greatest level I've ever seen. The free kicks now, his passing. And now, I mean, we saw the third goal, obviously. But then again, the second goal too. You know, the second goal where he was able to read off Suarez's uh, you know, back heel pass, basically, to read that play and react faster than the defender. Because again, he sees colors. He just knows where the things are going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so he's able to react faster, you know, and he's able to put a foot on it and just slot it past the goalkeeper. Yeah. And the buildup on that with, uh, with Suarez was primo football. It was primo football. Hashtag primo football. Yeah. And, you know, people were complaining to me that, you know, because I, I said it was a good pass. I mean, yes, I don't think it was the greatest pass I ever saw, but it was a great pass, you know? And he kind of, I'm going to try to put this in ter- technical terms. He kind of chunked the pass. <laughs> so he was, well, he was trying to make it a, a, a smoother pass mm-hmm. to Messi, but the way he kind of hit it, it bounced, but obviously Messi was able to get a foot on it because it didn't require much to just to put a foot. But again, I'm not going to knock Suarez on the pass. It was a great idea, but you know, the chemistry they have between the two of them is, is unspeakable, right? It's just like, they just have this intuition with each other from playing with so many years, but also they just get each other and you can see they're always trying to find each other. And when it comes to that type of connection, it's unstoppable. They're soulmates. They are soulmates. Yeah. So I just want to, you know, just talk really quick and we'll tie it off with this about the last goal. I told you right before we started recording that here in Spain on the Movistar, you can listen to the audio tracks from not only the play-by-play, but all the various radio stations that are uh, showing the match. And so obviously there's three, I think there's three from Barcelona and three in Madrid and then the play-by-play. And so I had to listen to all the goal goals. (laughs) And after we're done, I'm going to listen to them again because man, Brian, that thing was unreal, primo football, everything. I mean, it had everything I would want, you know, a Cuchara type of goal, uh, kind of like a, Pistol Pete style, no look pass shot type of style thing going on. And it just left the crowd speechless, you know, like a bullfighter, basically. They just kind of threw the hats in the ring, just applauding Messi's performance. Yeah. So everyone agreed, no matter where the commentators were, whether it was Madrid, Barcelona, everyone was unanimous. It was Golasso and speechless. And, and the best part was on the play by play of the TV. When Messi hits it, he says no <laughs> because because he's like realizing what he just did in that kind of split second, and then when he hit it, the, the comment, the play by play guy just went nuts, and it's it's such a great call, it's such a great call. No, he's like he's like no, because like he just didn't he's like he can't you know realize what he just saw or is seeing at that moment. Wow, yeah, that's nice. So, yeah. Great week for Messi. Yeah, very good week for Messi. And <laughs> now we get a week off. Yeah. First team action. La Liga is off for the international break. The uh, Segunda B, Barca B will still be playing. The women's team will still be playing. So we'll we'll see what we do next week uh, as far as the podcast is concerned. But first team is off. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready for that break. Me too. We need, we need, we need a podcast international break too. Yeah. We, we, you know, maybe <laughs> we can just take next week off. I, I think we've earned it. <laughs> I think we've earned it too. It's, it's been a good year for us, and yes. it's possible that we might have earned a week off. Uh, but also, uh, what I heard on the TV coverage I was watching of this match is that now, I mean, if if everything, if they keep winning matches, then the match that we're at against Atletico could be absolutely decisive. Barcelona could potentially clinch the league at that game. How cool would that I mean, be? Why- 
that would be very cool. I mean, why not, right? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just make it happen for us. It's good it's good podcast material, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also funny how much we have to complain about uh despite winning 4-1 and and you know, having not had a loss except in the first leg of two leg ties in quite some time. Yeah. So it's it's been a- we're you know, it's good though. It's good. You got to stay stay on your toes. It's good to keep them you know, keep them true to their laurels. Yeah, that would be epic if they win the La Liga when we're there because I would just be, I mean, come on. That's that's just a storybook anybody. It'd be the best trip to Barcelona I've ever had <laughs> out of three. So, yeah, not bad. All right, well, um, we may be off next week or we may not. Anyway, check your podcast app. Come next Monday to find out. Thanks to Michelle Taylor today. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing by Brian Henderson, music by Brian Henderson and Johannes Brahms, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. Help send a deserving young player to Barcelona soccer camp this summer in Houston and support the show through Patreon at barsatalk.net. Until next time, Bisca Barca. Podcast Network.